Chapter Twenty Six of Devlin the Barber by B. L. Fargen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The first thing to be done after partaking of a hurried breakfast was to arrange our programme. Carton suggested that we should all go together to Athelstan Road to see his guardian, and I had some difficulty in prevailing upon him to forego this plan. We spoke together quite openly in the presence of Devlin, who, for the most part, contented himself with listening to the discussion. "'Evidently,' said Carton, "'you have suspicions against my guardian, and it is only fair that he should be made acquainted with them.' "'He shall be made acquainted with them,' I replied, "'but it must be in the way and at the time I deem best. I hold you to your promise to be guided by me.' Carton nodded discontentedly. I am to stop here and do nothing, I suppose, he said. That is how you will best assist me, I said. If you are seen at present by Mr. Dowsett, you will ruin everything. You shall not, however, be quite idle. Have you your cheque-book with you? Yes, he said, producing it. Let me look at the block of the cheque for the two thousand pounds you drew on Saturday morning, payable to bearer, and gave to Mr. Dowsett. "'It is the last cheque I drew,' said Carton, handing me the book. I glanced at it, saw that the bank was the National Provincial Bank of England, and the number of the cheque was 134178. Then I obtained a telegraph form, and at my instruction Carton wrote the following telegram. To the manager, National Provincial Bank of England, 112 Bishopsgate Street, London has my cheque for two thousand pounds, number 184178, drawn by me on Saturday, and made payable to bearer, been cashed, and how was it paid, in notes or gold? Reply paid. Urgent. Waiting here for answer. From Richard Carton, Nayland Rock Hotel, Margate. I will take this myself to the telegraph office, I said, and you will wait here for the answer. I will be back as quickly as possible, but it is likely I may be absent for an hour or more. With that I left him, Devlin accompanying me at my request. I could have sent the telegram from the railway station, but I chose to send it from the local post-office, for the reason that I expected to receive there a telegram from my wife, whom I had instructed to wire to me, before eight o'clock, whether there was anything fresh in the London newspapers concerning the murder of Lizzie Melladew. I mentioned this to Devlin, and he said, "'You omit nothing. It is a pleasure to work with you. Command me in any way you please. My turn, perhaps, will come by and by.' It was early morning, and our way lay along the marine parade, every house in which was either a public or a boarding-house. From every basement in the row, as we walked on, ascended one uniform odour of the cooking of bacon and eggs, which caused Devlin to humorously remark that when bacon and eggs ceased to be the breakfast of the average Englishman, the decay of England's greatness would commence. All along the line this familiar odour accompanied us. At the post-office I found my wife's telegram awaiting me. It was to the effect that there was nothing new in the papers concerning the murder. The criminal was still at large, and the police appeared to have failed in obtaining a clue. I dispatched Carton's telegram to the London Bank, and then we proceeded to Athelstan Road, and soon found the house we were in search of. I had decided upon my plan of operations. Devlin was not to appear. 
he was to stand at some distance from the house, and only to come forward if I called him. I was to knock and inquire for Mr. Dowsett, and explain to him that, not feeling well, I had run down to Margate for the day. Carton had given me his guardian's address, and had asked me to inquire whether Mr. Dowsett would be absent from London for any length of time, intending, if such was the case, to join Mr. Dowsett and his family in the country. Then I was to trust to chance and to anything I observed how next to proceed. The whole invention was as lame as well could be, but I could not think of a better. It was only when decided action was necessary that I felt how powerless I was. All that I had to depend upon was a slender and mysterious thread of conjecture. I knocked at the door, and of the servant who opened it I inquired if Mr. Dowsett was up yet. "'Oh, yes, sir,' replied the girl. "'Up and gone, all of them.' "'Up and gone, all of them!' I exclaimed. "'Yes, sir. Had breakfast at half-past six, and went away directly afterwards.' "'Do you know where to?' "'No, sir.' "'Oh, here's Mrs.' The landlady came forward. "'Do you want rooms, sir?' "'Not at present. I came to see Mr. Dowsett.' "'Gone away, sir, him and the three ladies.' "'So your servant informed me. But I thought I should be certain to find him here.' "'Stop! What did you say? Mr. Dowsett and the three ladies? You mean the two ladies?' "'I mean three, said the landlady, looking sharply at me. "'They only came on Saturday. Mr. Dowsett came yesterday. "'You must excuse me, sir. There's the dining-room bell and the drawing-room bell ringing all together.' "'A moment, I beg,' I said, slipping half a crown into her hand. "'Do you know where they have gone to?' "'No, they didn't tell me. They were in a hurry to catch a train. But I don't know what train, and don't know where to.' Her manner proclaimed that she not only did not know, but did not care. "'They had some boxes with them?' I said. "'Yes, two. I can't wait another minute. I never did see such a impatient gentleman as the dining-rooms.' "'Only one more question,' I said, forcibly detaining her. "'Did they drive to the station?' "'Yes, they had a carriage. Please let me go, sir.' "'Do you know the man who drove them? Do you know the number of the carriage?' "'Haven't the slightest idea,' said the landlady, and, freeing herself from my grasp, she ran down to the kitchen. I stepped into the street with a feeling of mortification. Mr. Kenneth Dowsett had given me the slip again. Rejoining Devlin, I related to him what had passed. "'What are you going to do next?' he asked. "'I am puzzled,' I replied, and hardly know what to do.' "'That is not like you,' said Devlin. Come, I will assist you. Mr. Kenneth Dowsett seems to be in a hurry. The more reason for spirit and increased vigilance on our part. Observe, I say, our part. I am growing interested in this case, and am curious to see the end of it. If Mr. Dowsett has gone back to London, we must follow him there. If he has gone to some other place, we must follow him to some other place. But how to find that out? He was driven to the station in a carriage. We must get hold of the driver. At present we are ignorant whether he has gone by the South-Eastern or the London, Chatham, and Dover. We will go and inquire at the cab ranks. But although we spent fully an hour and a half in asking questions of every driver of a carriage we saw, we could ascertain no news of the carriage which had driven Mr. Dowsett and his family from Athelstan Road. 
I was in despair, and was about to give up the search and return disconsolately to the Nayland Rock, when a barefooted boy ran up to me, and asked whether I wasn't looking for the cove what drove a party from Athelstan Road. Yes, I said excitedly, do you know him? Oh, I knows him, said the boy. Bill Foster he is. I helped him with the boxes. There was one little box the gent wouldn't let me touch. There was something heavy in it, and the gent give me a copper. Thank yer, sir. He was about to scuttle off with the sixpence I gave him, when I seized him, not by the collar, because he had none on, but by the neck where the collar should have been. Not so fast. There's half a crown more for you if you take me to Bill Foster at once. Can't do that, sir. Don't know where he is, but I'll find him for you. Very good. How many persons went away in Bill Foster's carriage? There was the gent and one, two, three women, two young uns and a old un. You're quite sure? I'll take my oath on it. Now look here. Do you see these five shillings? They're yours if you bring Bill Foster to me at the Nayland Rock in less than half an hour. You ain't kidding, sir? Not at all. The money's yours if you do what I tell you. All right, sir. I'll do it. And tell Bill Foster there's half a sovereign waiting for him at the Nayland Rock, but he mustn't lose a minute. With an intelligent nod the boy scampered off, and we made our way quickly back to the hotel, where Richard Carton was impatiently waiting us. "'Did you see him?' he asked eagerly. "'No,' I replied. "'He went away early this morning.' "'Where to?' "'I hope to learn that presently. Have you received an answer to your telegram?' "'No, not yet. There's the telegraph, messenger.' The lad was mounting the steps of the hotel. We followed him, and obtained the buff-coloured envelope addressed to Richard Carton, Nayland Rock Hotel, Margate, which he delivered to a waiter. Carton tore open the envelope, read the message, and handed it to me. The information it contained was that cheque 134178, for two thousand pounds, signed by Richard Carton, was cashed across the counter on Saturday morning, that the gentleman who presented it demanded that it should be paid in gold, that as this was a large amount to be so paid, the cashier had asked the gentleman to sign his name at the back of the cheque, notwithstanding that it was payable to bearer, and that the signature was that of Kenneth Dowsett. "'Do you think there's anything strange in that?' I asked. "'It does seem strange,' replied Carton thoughtfully. I made a rapid mental calculation, and said, two thousand sovereigns in gold weigh forty pounds, a heavy weight for a man to carry away with him. Carton did not reply, but I saw that, for the first time, his suspicions were aroused. "'You told me,' I continued, "'that Mrs. Dowsett and her daughter Letitia went away from their house on Saturday morning early.' "'So my guardian informed me.' "'Was any other lady stopping with them?' "'I did not understand so from my guardian.' "'Did they have any particular lady friend whom, for some reason or other, they wished to take with them to the seaside?' not to my knowledge. You can think of no one? Indeed, I cannot. It is your belief that only two ladies left the house? Yes, it is my belief. But, I said, Mrs. Dowsett took not only her daughter Letitia with her, but another lady, a young lady as well, and the three, in company with your guardian, left Margate suddenly this morning. 
I have ascertained this positively. Now, who is this young lady of whom you have no knowledge?' He passed his hand across his forehead, and gazed at me with a dawning terror in his eyes. "'Shall I tell you what is in my mind?' "'Yes.' "'If,' I said, speaking slowly and impressively, "'the theory I have formed is correct, and I believe it is. The young lady is Mary Melladew, poor Lizzie's sister.' "'Good God!' cried Carton. "'What makes you think that?' End of chapter 26